Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. The collapse of Woodford Investment Management and the problems faced by the Woodford Equity Income Fund show that investment style is more than just a matter of taste. Woodford built his reputation as a value investor, but the unlisted investments which led to his flagship fund closing down were definitely of a growth style. This week we're here with Ilan Chaitovitz, co-manager of the Namur Global High Conviction Fund, and Minesh Patel, a chartered financial planner at EA Financial Solutions, to discuss the pitfalls of different investment styles and what advisors need to know about them. Hello, Ilan. Good morning. And hello, Minesh. Good morning. Conversation. The Miski World Growth Index outperformed the Miski World Index, returning 13% while over three years, while the Miski World Value Index performed 8%, underperforming the Miski World Index. But it's started to turn turn around in, in recent months. Over the past three months, um, value has um, outperformed or growth has underperformed. Ian, why has value had such a bad time in, in recent years and why has it do you think it's started to reverse a little bit so so that's a that's a great question it's certainly important to know how we've got here to make a view on on where we're going over the next few years we think there is a very strong relationship between long-term bond yields and the interplay between growth and value so if we say Take the S&P 500 as an example. It has increased by about 50% uh, over the last five years, but that improvement has come at a very big dispersion between growth and value. And what one can see if one looks at the difference between the 10-year and the two-year yield on the US Treasury, that trajectory directly relates to whether growth and value outperforms. What we've seen over the last five years is a steady decline in that relationship, and that has coincided with a decline in the relative performance of value versus growth. Hmm. I mean, Ash, do you uh, agree with that analysis? I think that largely investors have ignored investment style. I think that growth in growth stocks have been in vogue, and their growth has been massively above the mark above the market average i know it sounds uh, very obvious but also i'd sort of co- comment that with a large amount of money going to index tracking which just takes no account of investment style growth companies are f- tending to form a larger proportion of those indices i mean i look at um, some growth stocks walt disney qualcomm linkedin Adobe, Netflix, you know, those companies are growing at a very fast rate, uh, much faster than value stocks within those indices. Um, Not in all cases, but that's, that's, I mean, taking a general overview, that would be my comment, the growth stocks with, who are operating a subscription model like Netflix, Amazon, etc., are growing at a very, very fast rate. You've got some of your biggest holdings on MasterCard, Alphabet, PayPal. Is it fair to say that you see yourself as a value yeah, so manager, uh, we we consider ourselves value investors. Where we differ from other value investors is that we really try and focus on bargains that we see in the stock markets, irrespective of how quickly a company is growing or not. So we actually. Uh, take an agnostic view to to value and growth. Uh, we like to be evenly balanced. We think that there is an ampli- there is an, an implicit big bet on interest rates 
in the choice between value and growth. And that's something we don't want to take and we would advise other people not to take that bet. So we do own some very strong growth companies like MasterCard. We like that business a lot. We think it's one of the best companies in the world. But we own some much more sedentary type of businesses, which we just think are great businesses and real bargains at the current levels. And do you agree with Nash's um, analysis that the growth of um, trackers has helped growth stocks? So trackers have resulted in um, a lot of inflows into just the broader market index. And that is a composition of companies which has changed materially over the last five to 10 years and has really favoured growth companies. So yes, I do agree with Minesh that by buying a tracker now, you are also making a bet on uh, value versus growth given the composition of of the indices. Mm -hmm. Minesh, if people are piling into um, trackers and therefore into growth stocks, what implications does that have if um, the trend that we've seen in recent years reverses itself? Yeah, there there is an issue there. I mean, companies like Tesla, Uber, and although they're they're massively uh, highly valued companies, what real value is in the balance sheet. You know, they're, 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 not, they're not yet profitable. At the last count, I think, I don't think Uber hit profitability yet. I think Tesla is still yet to hit profitability. So, so the real strength of those companies could come into question at more difficult economic circumstances. I mean, since 2007, in which the, 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 on which we've had a pretty benign economic period, yeah? I mean, apart from small spikes in 2011, a small spike in 2015 and last year. It's been a pretty benign period, very supportive of um, fast-growing companies coming to the market quickly and growing quickly. We haven't really seen the performance of those high-growth value stocks within a more um, uh, materially difficult economic environment and rising interest rate environment, uh, uh, recessionary environment. So I think it could be they could, those, those growth stocks could face some difficulty in more troubled investment condition in, in economic conditions, mm. such as the trade wars, for example, or Brexit or something like that. You mean? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, uh, Minesh, I, I disagree with you on that point, and I think you may be conflating the performance of, of growth stocks with economic cyclicality. Yeah. What we've seen over the last five to ten years is a very strong push towards growth stocks. Just look at the NASDAQ. It's one of the top performing indices in the world. But we view that as a function of people's long-term growth expectations, not very uh, buoyant economic environment, which has actually been pretty muted since the great financial crisis. So if I'm correct uh, that it is the long-term growth expectations which are muted, which has been a, a real support for growth stocks, if we are indeed entering a period of slower growth going forward, I think that would support those type of companies. Mm. Mm. The converse is true as well. If for some reason the US and China make a rapprochement, 
if uh, the political situation in the UK and Europe has a benign outcome, then there could be a lot more optimism about the midterm economic prospects globally. And as a result, we could see uh, long-term bond yields recover. We would see economically sensitive stocks do very well. And under those conditions, I think the growth stocks that have been the real outperformers would certainly underperform. So, I mean, what attention, given that advisors have to build sort of long-term portfolios for their clients, what attention should they spend, uh, pay to, to, to the different styles that a fund manager might employ, if at all? I really tend to favour, when I'm looking at active funds, um, managers who are more agnostic in style, who look for good companies with good uh, prospects for growth, whether it be a value, whether it be a value stock, I mean Berkshire Hathaway, I think is value is considered a, 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 a value stock at this moment in time, um, as is J.P. Morgan. So, you know, I'm I'm leaving it up to the manager to decide on. I want a manager to be more stock picking, as opposed to favouring a particular style, which is growth or or value. And Elon, as a, as a manager, do you feel that you can? be agnostic in, in the many ways or do those sort of maybe natural biases come play a part? Well, uh, on, on this point, I, I totally agree with Minesh and I would argue on two fronts. Firstly, in the context of the previous discussion on the sensitivity of growth versus value and how that is a function of long-term interest rates, which over the last 12 months, very few people have got right. That's a very big risk investors are taking when they favor one style versus another. That's on the, on the one hand. On the other hand, I can only convey to you what our clients are doing themselves and whether it's multi-manager funds or general asset allocators. And they endeavor very hard not to be taking these sorts of bets themselves. It's really a bit of a coin toss where the global economy is going to be in 12, 24 months. And by taking a big bet one way versus another, you're taking a big risk on a very unknown variable. And Elan, do you feel that um, as a manager, you can change your approach from one style to another? Is that Can you do that successfully or is it doomed to to fail? Right. Well, the recent headlines started uh, hitting. There are two sort of axioms that that we live by. And, And the first is the biggest risk one can take in investing is owning something that one doesn't know much about. So that also feeds into our prior conversation where if you're taking a view on growth versus value, you're actually taking a big bet on an asset class, long-term bonds, for instance, which one doesn't have an expertise in. We choose not to take that risk. We are very much bottom-up stock pickers, the sort that uh, Minesh likes, uh, and we find that that is the best way for people to, for ourselves, to consistently generate good returns because we are playing in an area that we know and we think we understand better than the broader market. Mm-hmm. Amesh, how do you feel about managers uh, changing styles? I like a conviction style of manager. I mean, uh, many of the active funds I've used regularly over the past few years tend to fail our stock picking. 
and hold those stocks, obviously trimming positions from time to time, and it's worked very successfully. On to Elan's point about growth versus va- uh, value, um, the problem for any form of planner is if you get your strategy or investment strategy wrong at that particular point and actually growth works better than value at that point, you're damaging investor returns. What I do favor in portfolio construction is I do allocate some money to um, discretion fund managers and um, multi-asset for that reason because I don't want to not have the responsibility, but I don't have sufficient information to make the call as to whether value or stock or value or growth is better for the, for my clients at this particular point in the investment cycle. Uh, the, the comment I can make is a value has been out of favour, so I would I would look to my look to the manager of the discretion manager to allocate more to value stocks after a discussion with them rather than me independently making the decision to allocate more to value stocks at this particular point mm. or value managers at this particular point in time. Mm. And in a short extent, do you feel that it was the um, move from value to growth that got Neil Woodford into trouble? I think that it was a contributor, but I think that he was taking two risky positions for the mandate. I mean, you know, the Woodford Equity Income Fund is designed to be a fairly mainstream fund. And if you're taking too many alternatives, I mean, I, I, I understand the point of using alternatives, but if those, if, you're, if, if those risks are not properly understood, then I think it's questionable. His decision-making was questionable. I mean, having looked at his history, even when he managed the Invesco Fund, he did use fairly alternative stocks and strategies, which at that point didn't unwind. But obviously, this time round, those positions did unwind. So my comment is value and growth probably did have a contributor, but the positions were too risky. Well, I think uh, a more general point about in investing is, is, to, is to really know what one owns and to have an insight into that domain of knowledge. Where any investor steps outside of their comfort zone, however big or small that zone is, that is, we think, the biggest risk an investor can take. So we would uh, advise um, retail customers, and certainly medicine we take ourselves, is to not stray outside of one's area of competence. And finally, going forward, do you think that the outperformance of uh, value that we've seen uh, over the past few months is going to stick? Do you think it's going to continue over the past few months, next few months, next few years? Well, I've, I'll answer that with, with two hats on, if I may. The first hat is is the fund that, that I co-manage. And with that fund, we do not take that sort of bet. We do not think we have an edge versus the market, and we prefer and work diligently to get our, our performance through bottom-up stock picking. So that's my, uh, that's my first hat. But my own personal opinion goes back to our first discussion, which is really understanding what has driven the trends in the stock markets over the last five to ten years. And the data is, is very compelling. Uh, Minesh, I'll, 
I'll forward you what I've got uh, after this if you're interested. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah. Uh, for, for instance, there is a 90% correlation between the trajectory of the two-year versus the 10-year treasury yield against the performance of value versus growth in the US. So that is very, very compelling. Now, what has driven that itself is a much broader topic, and it goes to technological disruption, demographic changes, and the, the growth of China. These sorts of drivers are secular. They are very long-term in duration, and we do not see those abating anytime soon. So while there may be near-term reversal trades or near-term optimism about the economic cycle over the next 12 months to 18 months, we, I think that the medium-term trend is lower for longer. And Minesh Fani, do you feel uh, that um, value is going to continue its actual performance? And I suppose, are you going to do anything about it as an advisor to your clients? So I do think there's more prospect for value. I don't think I'm going to favour value over growth, but I would utilise some value uh, managers more frequently. Um, I do like, for example, the UK smaller stocks um, area and using value managers there. So I've, I've looked at um, just recently Fidelity special situations, which, which I think has performed admirably, and I consider them to be a value manager, but not perhaps as a mainstream theme. So going back to Elan's point, um, that I don't want to stray out of my natural zone of what I found has been very dependable for clients. So I'd be, be more used as a as a satellite fund for some significant outperformance in conjunction with a mainstream portfolio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Well, thank you, Elan. And thank you, Minash. And thank you very much for listening. And tune in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.